Gardening Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday morning and here come the girls, Ray and Faye, with Let's Talk Gardening. Gardening friends, good morning to you all. We are all here, Bev Daring, John Glidden, Ray and Faye. Now the lines are open, 94841927. Hope you know our email address by now, gardening at curtainfm.com.au. You can send your messages or questions through that way as well. Alan Simon certainly showed us all how to do it again. And Mark Carlton helped him do it. Thanks, boys. Appreciate And Jim Crinan took us for a little cycle. And he will be back at 10 a.m. with the classic 70s. So something for you to look forward to. Now, what a week it has been for Caro. Again. <laughs> Hasn't it just? You get, really can't get bored, can you? Oh, it's a, <laughs> can't it's complain about that. <laughs> up and down like a yo-yo. We yeah, don't know what's it, going to happen next. It, you don't. And I guess it's that roller coaster effect, isn't it? And living in a bubble sometimes. Yeah. Well, that's how I've looked at it, mm. Ray. I've really started to think about how how much contact I have with people, mm. uh, what I what my social life was for before what, what it was like 18 months ago <laughs> and who I'm in contact with and who I have to protect. And it's the young and old in my family. So of course. I've, yeah, I've been more yeah. careful about who I'm hugging, uh, mm. reducing hugs and, <laughs> really? and keeping yeah. my You're not a hugger, people. unless it was a tree, well, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably true. But yeah. really, do we need to get that close to people? Because if, if for example, I had... The virus, mm. and I went along on my social business and hugged everyone Everybody. I came into contact with. Yeah. I would be a super spreader. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to be. So no. here we are. So We've we been have to doing pull the back, right pull thing. back on the affection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, save the the love for the trees. Exactly. Now we have like well, we did have uh, Bruce Larson, who is the, the president of the Northern District Orchid Society. Coming into the studio, sadly, he he is not due to the restrictions. Uh, we were very much looking forward to having Bruce join us for the morning. However, we will have Bruce in soon, and we are speaking to him on the phone at 20 past eight. And, of course, uh, disappointingly, the Orchid and Garden Fair that is meant to be on this weekend is not, and I'm pretty sure that's the second time they've had to cancel it. So it's just, you want to say something? I, I just want to say out. that. That comes under a heading of what's on again, off again. Yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's not this fair. roller coaster. It's not fair. There's so much work goes into organising events like that. And at five past nine, we're chatting to uh, the education officer, volunteer, and coordinator at Kenyana Wildlife Rehab Centre, Christine Brazen. Uh, she's very passionate about wildlife and education, and we're going to have a little bit of chat with her about endemic marsupials, amongst other things. I'm looking forward to that. I was having a good read about Kenyana and what an organisation they are. Yes, Wowee. they sure are. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people have got stories, and uh -huh. they have a, and how they've grown. a hospital officer mm. in charge of 
managing the organisation. 400 volunteers, right? Yeah, it's and a they're big not, outfit. They're not funded. So. No, and it makes us look like a pimple on a pumpkin by comparison. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. What what an organisation. All right, 94841927. Let's get cracking. We're heading to Boyer saying hello to David. Good morning. Hi, David. Good morning. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. That's good. How can we help you? Just wondering, I've got a uh, a mulberry tree. I want to give it a, a light trim. Is it all right to do it this time of the year? Well, now is the perfect time of the year. Generally, I would wait until it's lost all of its leaves, and then yeah, you can see, on, yeah. and yeah. then you can see the framework of the plant, and you can get yeah. in there and give it a good tidy up. Okay then. All right. Thank. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That was an easy one, David. Yes. Okay. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Well, now is the perfect time for deciduous fruit tree pruning, except for maybe um, apricots. They're very susceptible to mould and mildew, so best not to do them in the wet, cold weather. But when trees have lost their leaves, it's a perfect time to get in there and give them a tidy up. So that's what one of the things I'll be doing on our break, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, we are having a couple of weeks off from next Saturday. We're back on the 24th. So the 10th and 17th off the top of my head uh, will be music programs. Yay, some people will be saying. And uh, we're just having our regular winter break. Uh, It gets a little quiet and cold and around this time of the year and we do recharge our batteries and get into our own gardens and sadly I haven't been into mine for goodness knows how long and yeah looking forward to just having a little bit of a breather and we'll come back all fresh bright-eyed bushy-tailed yeah well it's certainly a good time to get out and about and, and mm. look around the gardens and yeah. I don't know about your any roses you've got, Ray, but mine are still pushing out buds and yeah. still looking pretty leafy considering yeah. we've had some really cold, wet weather. Some are. It depends on how badly hit they were from chilli thrips. Some are doing well, some not so well. My I was, my David Austins, uh, they did get hit by chilli thrip. They were young roses and they are mm, not happy, not mm. very happy. So it, it's just watch and see at the moment. I don't think I can do much more for them. They'll either make it or they won't, actually. Uh, I'm resigned to that. I've got one rose at Camp David and he's screaming to be pruned back, whereas I've got other roses that are just flourishing. And I know what Chris Oliver would say, and that would be yeah. listen to what the plant is telling yeah. you. Yeah, and so rather than you have this mindset, I'll do it all at once and we do it all together, I'm thinking, no, I'll do it when it wants me to, and that rose will be pruned uh, this weekend. It needs it, and it's asking for it. Mm. Absolutely. Well, this week I got out into the rose garden just outside my back door mm-hmm. and picked off a, a lovely bars of roses to mm. bring inside before it rains. I think I saw that on the mm. Facebook page. I, yeah. took, I got lots of flowers out of Beautiful. the garden. It was like being in a florist shop. Yeah, you're but certainly creating that, aren't you? I, I also then made sure that I took those plants down further because I figured there's no point just, you know, doing a light trim now and doing it later. So where I could, I took them right down and removed some of the foliage. Yeah. So... I can get into, and this is the reason for doing it, get into the bed underneath, remove the weeds and give light to the bulbs that are trying to come through. trying to come through as well, yes. And and we've still been enjoying uh, autumn colour really at the moment. In our suburb, a lot of the ornamental pear trees are looking spectacular. The liquid ambers of where I am have 
pretty well gone close to dropping all of their their leaves. They have been amazing. Uh, Tellos have been very, very pretty. Some of them are still dropping their leaves, but it's just a burst of colour, which I don't think we get quite as intense here in Perth. It has been special. Mm. The hills certainly come to life in autumn Mm. and and winter with their colour. The um, edible pear trees in my garden are looking just stunning. They're, They're golden orange, red yeah. leaves just look beautiful, yeah, yeah. On, particularly on the side that, that cops the cold. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's what they enjoy. Uh, let's go to Lake Coogee. We're saying good morning to Rita. Hi, Rita. Oh, yes. Good morning, ladies. Morning. Um, and how are you today? Oh, oh very good. good. Thank you. That's good. Now, I have a, a lemon tree. It's about five years old. It's a dwarf lemon tree. Earlier on in the summertime, it, the leaves sort of went curled up and a little bit of brownish and like streaky. Yes. Okay. Now, it's uh, it looks good. It's got lots of fruit, and it's even at the moment it's even got new flowers on it, Lovely. as well as the fruit. Yeah, but it's all the leaves are going yellow and they're dropping off. There's hardly any leaves left on it. Okay, that's not a good sign, Rita. It, it tells yeah, me that the, the plant is in stress and maybe something's happened to its roots at some oh. stage. Is that sudden? Yes, yes. It's just started the last, say, five, five mm. weeks ago, five or six weeks ago. Would that be in relation to anything you have added or done? Have you fertilised it? Have you done any digging around it? Not, not digging. My husband looks after it. Not digging, but he does look after it. He does put citrus fertiliser on it and uh, takes any little bits that shouldn't be there off and stuff like that. You know, it's got the fruit there. It's fabulous. Okay. And is there any mulch on the plant or is it... What's it look like under the Just tree? Soil. Just, Just soil. Just soil. Okay. Yeah. And what sort of citrus fertiliser does he use? Do you know? No, no. He uses um, what he gets the... Um, the citrus fertiliser. Okay. The only thing I'm worried about, but I'm sure your husband knows what he's doing, sometimes if a granular fertiliser is used and Mm. it is put on the top of the soil where the shallow roots are located, it can burn the roots and the tree can drop its leaves in response to that. Citrus trees are very shallow-rooted. So they would really benefit from a layer of mulch. When you apply fertiliser, you apply it around the drip zone. So that's the outer edge of the tree. So that if you're watering the tree, the drip zone is like the umbrella, the outer edge. Mm. Mm. And watering in very, very well. Mm. So that, yeah, I can only imagine that it's some, some sort of root disturbance. Uh, so in that time, we've had a fair bit of rain. We've had cold. You yes. could probably add some compost and a layer of mulch. And if you can get the fruit off that is ripe, then that will give the tree an opportunity to reshoot. And it probably will unless it's something more serious. Okay. It's a, right, it's a start. It's one of those cases you sort of have to do what you can and then watch and see. Okay. And ask, okay, thank you for that. Ask mm. your husband, you know, what else has happened around that tree? You might be able to get the answer. Yeah. 
by okay. interrogating right. him. Yeah. <laughs> I do it often, Rita. <laughs> what have you done? That's a lot of interrogation goes on in my house. <laughs> Another thing is I was given a Hoya from my granddaughters at Christmas time because I had another one where we lived in um, Cardinia. Now, the one I had in Cardinia had smaller leaves. This has got the bigger leaves. We put a trellis on it. It has gone absolutely crazy with growth, but no flowers. You know how it has the lovely little crystal flowers? Oh, yes, yes, it's and no very waxy. Growth. Well, it probably tells you that it's very happy where it is. <laughs> is it root-bound or did you repot it? Well, it was my look. It was it was given to me at Christmas time, and it was in a little tiny pot. So we took it out, and we bought a nice big pot, and we put it in there, and we put a trellis on it. We've tied all it up, and it's going absolutely magic. Okay, well, no that, flowers. That's that's quite okay. I wouldn't worry. Hoyas actually really like to be pot bound, like really, really pot bound. Tight. So yeah. you you know, as long as you've got a healthy plant, that's great. Uh, morning sun, filtered yeah. light, is it? Is it getting... It's on the patio. It's on the patio. It does get a little bit of morning sun. Okay. Filtered sun. And, um, like, it's shaded, but it does get lots of air and lots of light and okay. quite a bit of sunshine, All yeah. Right. It sounds like that's a pretty good location for it. The next other thing is just feeding it. Um, yeah, so they like potash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something so to potash. encourage flowering. Mm-hmm. So... Okay. I I would start with a controlled release fertilizer in the pot, so mm. it's got something. But then mm. in the warmer weather, I would probably add um, a. And you know what? When we talk to Bruce, he'll talk about fertilizer and half strength more regularly to promote mm. flowering. Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. You, you're you not that. alone with your hoya. There no. is a lot of collectors and, and enthusiasts out there, and mm. a fantastic. Hoya page too. Yeah, but this is different to the one that I had. It's got bigger leaves mm. and it's got like little silver flecks going. Yeah. It looks so beautiful and growing. It's just gone absolutely crazy. Well, when is it going to give me flowers? Oh, patience, my yeah, dear. Yeah, it's going to say, be patient. <laughs> yeah. I've got okay. an amazing one that looks like, um, it looks like fern leaves mm. and it just trails down from the hanging basket right to the ground and it's, yeah, very pot bound. I'm sure it wants a bigger pot, but it's just oh. amazing. It looks like a succulent fern. Wowee. And mm. you get some nice mm. flowers. Oh, no, it doesn't get a lot of flowers. Yeah, but it's and a nice specimen, small. just the mm. same. Mm. Mm. Yes. The one that I had previously, like I said, in Cardinia, uh, that used to give me massive flowers. That's why I'm wondering, what's the matter with this one? Why is it not giving me any flowers? Oh, it would be good. It would be good to um, identify which one it is and what the flowers okay. will look like, Rita. Are you able to send us a photo? Uh, I can try and get my granddaughters to do it. Well, if well, you do that... Take it to the nursery. Can I do that? Well, you could. They might, they might know. But if mm. you were to get your granddaughters to send us a photo, we can identify what type it is and let you know what type of flower you'll be likely okay. to get. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Have a great day, Rita. Thank you. You too. Cheers for that. And Andre of Willerton is asking the right time to prune a Kensington Pride mango tree, please. 
right across the board mm. for anyone listening who's got fruit trees, the best time to prune is after it's finished fruiting. Mm. So remove the fruit and give the plant a tidy up. Yeah, a little bit of common sense prevails. Mm. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. Curtain Radio. It's 22 minutes after eight. You are tuned to Let's Talk Gardening and we appreciate your company. And just mentioning that as of next week, we are having a two-week break. We will be back on, off the top of my head, I think it's the 24th, Saturday the 24th of July. We've got our buddy online, Bruce Larson. Let's go and see what Bruce is up to. Good morning. How are you, Bruce? Yeah, good morning, Ray. How are you? So sorry about what has happened with your Orchid and Garden Fair again, I think. Yeah, very, very disappointing, I'm afraid. Uh, yeah, we got caught out. So with the 20-person limit, there's just no way we could stay <sighs> gardening an orchid event uh, this weekend. So what's going to happen moving forward? What Do you have a, a plan C or D or E with it? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're looking at the options, but I guess it's probably pretty difficult um, to reorganise the, the, the hall. That's the right. Difference. A school hall and certain yeah. restrictions and holidays and the like. So yeah, uh, we do have another big event planned for um, early October. So we're probably, you know, there are a number of other events coming up in August, but we'll have a another big gardening and orchid affair at Mirabuka uh, in October. So mm-hmm. that'll be the plan to come back there and the other shows that come through in August. Mm. Bruce, when does your society meet? Uh, good morning, Faye. Um, hi, hi. <laughs> Sorry, uh, we meet on the fourth Monday of every Monday, fourth Monday of every month, I should say. And do Eden you Hill. at Eden Hill? And do you sell plants at those meetings? We do. Yes, right. we do. Okay. So will will there be an extra amount of plants? Oh, it sounds like if, if people from the public were interested in getting hold of orchids and they've been waiting for this event, would some of these plants be available then? They certainly will. Um, I've already had a number of phone calls, so I've got people uh, running around over the weekend uh, to come and collect a few plants and things. So, yes, we will certainly have them available at our, our club meeting. Um, that's, that happens every month anyway. Mm. But we will have certainly have extras because people have been saving them as they were uh, for the weekend show, which exactly. is now oh, And they'd be in bloom. They'd look amazing. Uh, yeah, over the next... This time of the year, it's it, although it's it's um, much colder and, of course, wet, um, plants do slow up a little bit, but you do get a lot of orchids that actually come into their own at this time of the year. So cattleyas are around, not, not as many as what you get in, in the autumn or in the spring, but still a few around. But a lot of the lalias and oncidiums and all the cymbidiums, of course, are coming into full bloom, um, and there's some spectacular, you know, colours and all of that. And then, of course all our Australian native dendrobiums and all the different hybrids that have been made, they're all coming into flower now. Now and they're absolutely spectacular. Wow. So with all this excess stock, could you do something online maybe? I don't know. I'm just thinking out aloud. Yeah, yeah no, I think we will. Um, in okay. fact, one of, the, one of our lady members has been on the Facebook page this morning suggesting that we put photos of those orchids that we were yeah. going to put in the show, yeah. but also to sell the plants that uh, the members have had put yeah, aside. Exactly. So, so yeah. yeah, I think we'll do all of that, um, and I think we need to. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, something else that just comes to mind, photographing uh, plants isn't the easiest of tasks. Perhaps you could get 
in contact with a, one of the camera clubs around Perth and they may be interested in or some of their members may be interested in, in photographing the plant so you could give them an opportunity to practice their skill and display yep. the plants in their best light. Just a thought. I know foam photography is pretty easy to do too. but um. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. And um, we've actually had some of the professional photography clubs um, come along to our meetings and shown the members how to use normal cameras, SLRs, but also how to use your phone cameras to sort of best capture the orchids and the like. Because mm, yeah. they're not the easiest things to photograph, are they? No, they're not. And in fact, if you have a look at any of the photographs in the, you know, the magazines and the books and things like you know, people like Andrew Brown and others produce, they actually take, uh, I think they call it stacking. Yes. So they actually set the camera up and they take about 10 or 15 shots in exactly the same position and they just change the aperture a little bit so they get the definition of the flower right from the inside of the flower to the outside of the petals. So that then when they put the picture on the publication, the whole flower is in focus, whereas when we take a picture, the camera focuses on you know, either the lip or the petals or, you know, the inside or the outside and mm. so you, get, you get a good photo but it's not the same standard as what these people can achieve. Mm. Oh, some, yeah, some of the professionals and the gear they use is, and the lighting and it's it's an art form in itself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and then the cameras and, and then, of course, there's all the photoshopping that they can do as well, which uh, most of us are not set up to do. Well, even just for amateur photographers out there if you've got a photo and you don't like what's in the background even just a simple crop can make all the difference mm. framing the photo so mm. that you've got the best mm. yep absolutely mm. yeah yeah a good number of us are pretty keen on the photography component as well so um we do have little you know photograph competitions from time to time and uh, yeah so you know a lot of a lot of the people aren't too bad at taking photos but you know i guess the majority of us are not um, but certainly helps to sort of put a picture up on the Facebook or the you know pages or whatever, and at least people get an idea of what it is that they're looking to buy if mm. that's what they've got for sale. Yes, um, yep. because you know, pictures worth a thousand words. And, and my recommendation when you're buying orchids is always, if you can, try and buy it in flowers so you know you're actually getting yes. the, real, the yep. real McCoy. Now, Bruce, what is that Facebook page called? Uh, Northern Districts. So there's a number of different orchid societies. Uh, the one that I'm sort of heavily involved in is the Northern Districts Orchid Society and also the, the Wanneroo Joondalup Orchid Society. Uh, and we were running this big orchid event this weekend uh, jointly as two clubs, so we okay. work together very well. Both of them have uh, Facebook pages, um, websites, and they are called the Northern Districts Orchid Society or the Wanneroo Joondalup Orchid Society, and uh, both of them will bring you back <clears throat> to many of us anyway because we okay. belong to both clubs and yeah. the like. And are those groups open to the public or do you have to be a yep. member to join those Facebook groups? No, no, they're, they're open. Um, we invite the public to come to our meetings um, and obviously the public can, when we have shows, the public are, um, are welcome to enter plants as well. So it's open, but obviously the membership is obviously what we're looking to do um, and we create other opportunities for the members to participate in social events and, you know, home visits where we spend a lot of time talking about cultural activities and uh, insights to how to grow orchids better and the like. Yeah. And so whilst we have you, Bruce, would you be able to step us all through winter orchid care? 
right now, what we should be doing and shouldn't be doing? Yes, and I've got some particular advice uh, for Bev on the front counter there, who's got a thymbidium coming into flower. <laughs> She's very, She's very excited. excited. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, now's the right time for cymbidiums to be throwing up their flower spikes. Yeah. And, of course, what we really need to do now is make sure we look after it. So, first of all, the snails and slugs don't eat the flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, protect it where you can with a, either a bit of cotton wool um, tied around the base of the stem uh, so the slugs won't walk over the cotton wool, um, but also, you know, snail pellets and things like that. But also we need to try and train it vertically try and train it upright so while it's nice and soft and supple you can put a stake in alongside it and just gently tie it and train it to grow straight up instead of hanging down over the side of the pot where it gets in the way so some bidiums are coming into full bloom but also uh, things like um, all your lalias and then some oncidiums um, our what we call slipper orchids or pethiopodeliums they're all starting to come into bloom as well and so again gently staking them will help but I guess one of the key things that we need to do is just try and keep them out of our um, rain, out of the wet, out of the wet, the rains mm. that are coming, mm. particularly tomorrow. Mm. When they get really wet, then, then cold, um, it, either the moisture or the rainfall will destroy the flowers. But the, the plant itself gets saturated, and so then the root systems are really wet, and then they get cold, and that really helps to destroy the plant quickly, or certainly the root system. So if mm. we can put them under the back patio or something like that, keep them out of protect the rain, them. and that just helps to protect them. And Bruce, the plants that are budding and coming up to flower, would you still be feeding them now? Not so much. Um, we're probably only watering about once a week, and you really don't want to water when it's really cold. So when it's down at you know five, six, or seven degrees. It's a little bit too cold to water them and there's enough dampness and moisture in the air for the plant to survive and mm-hmm. carry on for at least a week or more. So if in doubt, just don't water them. Um, okay. But And fertilising them, pardon me, if you do fertilise at this time of the year, just do it about once every two or three weeks, okay. very weekly. And so not too strong. The plant, <laughs> weekly, the plant just can't take it up. Weekly, two or three weekly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, weekly, weekly. Yeah, half strength. And we we yeah. just had a, a a listener call in as well, Bruce, and she has a young hoya, and uh, she's desperate for it to flower. And we said we'd ask you about fertilising programs for hoyas. What you could share with us? Well, I think the same principle applies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hoyas love to be fed as well Mm. but at this time of the year a lot of the plants are sort of going dormant and when the roots are not active um, there's not a lot of point in fertilizing them and particularly at this time of the year um, reduce the nitrogen component of your fertilizer as well so generally you would use up to about a 20 percent nitrogen fertilizer in the growing period um, and the plant can't take up more than that anyway so there's no point using Mm. a higher nitrogen but get a low nitrogen fertiliser, maybe 10%, but a little bit higher in potassium, calcium. Um, those mm. sort of fertiliser are what you're best to use at this time of the year. But again, use it weekly um, and, and no more than once a week at this time of year. Actually, Bruce, that just made me think, um, with you saying calcium, do you ever use shell grit in any of your mixes? Yes, some of our growers do. Um, 
Uh, some people collect um, cuttlefish off the beaches and then just wash it to get some of the, the salts away. But shell grit and things like that, which are high in calcium, mm. you know, even eggshells and things like that, people um, quite often use that in their mixes. I imagine it would also help keep the snails and slugs off a bit too. Yep, I think that's right, yeah. Um, the main benefit, of course, is getting the calcium out of the uh, out of the minerals. For sure. Yeah. There's so, lots of little mm. tricks and things like that that people uh, incorporate. So what are you going to do with yourself this weekend then, Bruce? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I've got a house full of orchids. and Yeah. <laughs> I've got to move them back out of the place and put them back where they should be. I've actually got uh, you know some people coming to collect some of the stuff that we had for sale, so um, that'll keep me busy for a little bit. But, yes. Uh, yeah, otherwise, I'll, I think I need to probably get out and start weeding the rose bed before all the rain comes tomorrow. So. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. We need to get do the, what we can today, prepared. right? Yes. Well, yeah, we need to get the roses prepared, ready for pruning as well, too. So yes. that's all coming up, isn't it? Yes, it, it sure is. is. Yes, there's always something to do in the winter garden. Yeah, and I mean, if people are interested too, of course, if you're wandering around this time of year in Kings Park, I think Kings Park, but certainly national parks and other parts, all our native orchids are coming into bloom as well. Um, We've had such a fabulous start to the year with early rain. Yeah, so that will be a treat. A bit of a bumper bumper season for wildflowers um, in our Midwest and also the orchids, which have been readily available in the Midwest and also down in South. In fact, I was talking to a colleague yesterday in the Bunbury region and they'd been out bushwalking all day and uh, were amazed at the number of orchids that had already been out and a whole lot more just coming through. Yes, I believe they're about up to three weeks early this year, which is quite phenomenal. Yeah, yeah which is terrific. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank and, you for those tips, yes. And if people are out looking for orchids... Uh, there's lots of fungi out there too. It is booming and looking amazing. And it's as pretty in its own right, I think. Yep. <laughs> Do you share that, Bruce? Went quiet there for a moment. Faye just went off on one of uh, her little tangents. That's okay. Bruce, look, we wish you... I sure if I needed to jump in then. <laughs> we wish you all of the luck going forward. Keep us posted. And when we can, we'd love to have you in the studio with us and we can obviously talk more in depth uh, at that time and, and listeners are able to ring in and uh, interrogate you about I, everything. I did just want to get uh, details on where the orchid meeting is, Bruce. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, Eden Hill. The, it's um, the Elf Faulkner Hall. Mm-hmm. Elf Faulkner Hall. Uh, in Eden Hill. So I think it's on the corner of Mary Street and something I've totally forgotten. Um, it's, it's just it's just between um, the Reed, uh, Molly Drive and Walter Road. Okay. And what time do they meet? 7.30. So from 7.30 on a Monday or the fourth Monday of every month. Okay. That's great. And we'd love, if people have got plants they want to bring along and ask questions about or mm. inquire why maybe it's not growing or flowering, bring it along. We'll have a look. Uh, and there's always plants for sale and there's always plants on show. And we always have a talk around different culture and always happy to talk to people about uh, how they might improve their growing techniques and the like. Mm, Excellent. Thank you very much for your time today, Bruce, and enjoy the weekend and all those beautiful flowering orchids. 
Yep, I'll have to. <laughs> now I go and disappoint my wife and take them all back outside. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks a lot, Bruce. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, we'll Ray. Have chat a great soon. week break. All okay. the best. Thank Bye. you. Bye. All right, let's. That was, of course, Bruce Larson, president of the Northern District Orchid Society. Let's head to Dianella. We're talking about a kangaroo paw. Caroline, hi. Oh, good morning, ladies. That was very interesting listening to what that man had to say about orchids. Oh, he's just a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Yes, Mm. very good at uh, imparting that knowledge to others. Mm. Mm, Very interesting. I'm just ringing about my kangaroo paw I had put in. I think I've talked to you before, the bush pearl at Pink Yes, Lane. yes. They looked dreadful through the entire summer. I had no flowers. They looked absolutely dreadful, and I thought, must be in the wrong spot. Uh, I, I thought I might have been overwatering them, so they only got the watering twice a week. I just left it. I thought, survive or don't. <laughs> I'll rip you up. But I didn't. I wasn't well enough to do anything about it. Now they've come back with a bang. They're all in flower because I cut off all the dead spikes and things. They're all in flower, and even the one that I thought was gone has popped up through the soil. Is this when they're supposed to be doing it? I thought they were a summertime plant. Well, you know, a lot of plants actually go dormant in summer. It's like they just survive, and bush pearl's one of those, obviously. Uh, it's very happy now. You've done everything right. It's in the right location. And cutting it back, deadheading it and giving giving things a feed is a great way for them to be allowed to do their own thing when the time is right. Okay. So, right. So it's just up to when they feel like it then. <laughs> uh, when they're happy, they feel like it. So... Yeah, you know, it's settled in now, it's in the right position, its roots are established, so it can go ahead and do what you want it to do. So the best way to look after that now, when the flowers finish, deadhead them and you'll be able to keep them going. They'd benefit by an addition of organic fertiliser, so something like a um, pelleted, complete, Oh, not a not a manure, but a formulation designed for improving the soil. There's oh, a few... look, I've got a native one. Oh, yeah. I'm so scared I'd get the wrong one. I just got one for native plants. That's that's fine. And depending on whether it's a, a granular or more organic, just be careful what time of the year you use it. Some of them will break down and improve the soil, and others, like the the chemical ones, will just be washed through with all the rains so look at what type it is and use it accordingly oh it's a, it's like they're like little pearls you know like beads. little like, okay beads, yes all right yeah. and at this time of year the the temperature's quite cool so if it was a controlled release one it might not release at this time of the year so in which case you know, you can throw it around and when the temperature's right, it'll release. Take it up. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. Mm. That's the other thing. What I wondered is, what I was thinking is, maybe I fertilised at the wrong time and that's why it's coming up now. Uh, no. Now's but just it it, the right time yes. for it in the position it's in and yes. it's happy. Enjoy so, them. Yeah, mm. Enjoy. <laughs> I'm looking very pretty. Hmm. I'm happy for your good news story, Caroline. Thanks <laughs> for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye. Cheers Bye. for that. Bye. Short break, guys. When we return, we're chatting with Ruby and Margaret. 
You are with Ray and Faye this morning. This is Let's Talk Gardening. All right, straight back out to the lines. We are in Averley saying hello to Ruby. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome, Ruby. Uh, I've got a lemonade tree in a pot. It's in a big pot. And now I've got two lemons that are ripening. So what do I do with it? (laughs) Well, Enjoy your ripening lemons. Um, In a pot, you have to be a little more careful. You have to make sure that it's got everything it needs. In this weather, if it is out in the open, it will be uh, managing on rainfall, so you don't have to do anything. Um, Keep fertiliser up to it. So the a, a good way is to give it some controlled or slow release fertilizer two or three times a year to coincide with a flush but then when I say that I also think well we probably don't want to encourage flushes at certain times of the year because that can also allow citrus leaf miner to come in and attack the new growth so what you want to do is keep your tree growing well all year make sure the 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 pot is free of weeds and there's no competition for moisture and nutrients. They are very shallow rooted. So the addition of compost and uh, a mulch would be helpful. And at this time of year, uh, Chris Oliver would talk about an organic fertilizer. So something that actually feeds the soil as well as the plant. All right. Mm. There you go. What do I do with the fruit? Well, when it's ripe, you pick it. And do I squeeze it like an ordinary lemon? Oh, yes, you can enjoy it, well, as a drink or added to different foods. Uh, You could make something with it, make it go further. You can make a lemon cake. Dozens of things you could do. Lemon curd's my fave. Oh, absolutely. Yum. Well, lots of ideas, Ruby. Okay, thank you very much. All right, enjoy. I love cooking with citrus. I <gasps> love citrus in my food, and I love I love the fragrance of citrus in the house. Mm. Yeah, I just it's fresh, isn't well, it? Well, there is a lot, you know. So after you've used the juice, assuming yeah. you use the juice, you can cut you've got up, the rinds. You can, if you cut the lemons in half and take the juice out, you're left with the rinds. Um, the shells so you can put them on the garden to trap slaters and then you can throw them away you can uh, dry them out you can make citrus peel crystallized Mm, mm. Uh, you can once you've dried out the skins you can actually add them to the fire they Mm. help because they've got oil they help as a fire starter and Mm. give off a nice fragrance too you can also take the rinds and soak them in vinegar And, well, you can do the same with orange and make a citrus cleaner. Mm. Do the same with lemons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can do them in like a brine solution as well. Lemons. Yeah. And then I remember another one, sliced lemon with sliced black olives and Mm. pickle it. That is really nice. Oh, oh my goodness. So many things. Oh, we've got a call sitting here. Goodness (laughs) us. Sorry, Margaret. We just got carried away with ourselves then. That's okay. Um, my question is also citrus. Um, my son somewhat impulsively bought me a mandarin tree. Lovely. But he bought 
an emperor, and when I read the tag, it says it will grow to um, two to five metres or something like that. Now, I have intended to keep it in a pot. Is mm. it possible to keep a tree that big in the pot, or will it, um, it not fruit because I've restricted it? Ooh, uh, yes, you can keep it in a pot, and because you're keeping it in a pot, it won't grow to five metres. Uh, mm. You can certainly manage it like on the, the same scale as bonsai. So a plant will grow as big as the size of the pot, but with careful trimming and management, you can still get fruit from it. Uh, there may be more suitable citrus for pots. I'm not too sure of that. But yes, you, you certainly can keep it in a pot. Just, mm, I think it sounds like too hard work. I think I might yeah. hand it on to somebody and get one that is suitable for a pot, you know, a smaller one that's designed to stay in a pot maybe. Mm. Um, if this one's meant There's, to grow. These days there is a lot more of lot more variety mm. of dwarf fruit trees sure, uh, because mm-hmm. homes and gardens have got smaller. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And also because of fruit fly, we need to be able to manage our trees. If we've got large right. trees and fruit fly problems, we can't contain them properly. That's right, yeah. Um, can I just ask one other question? When sure. Bruce was on, he did um, say preparing his roses for pruning. Now I was about to do that today as well. But I'm not sure what he would have been meaning by preparing them. I mean, I was just really just going to go out and prune them and then spray them with sulphur and clean up their mess underneath. Yep, yep, but for sure. What have you been meaning by preparing them? Well, I, I know, like, when I've started preparing for pruning this week, I've gone out and I've started weeding the bed. I've got a lot of annuals around the border, so I've gone through and I've pulled out all the wild oats that are popping up and plants that I don't want in there. And you making, talk about weeding. Making mm. the, the space clean, because when you prune... A lot drops to the ground and you might be picking off leaves that are affected. So then you want to be able to go in and rake all those out so you're not leaving leaves behind that can harbour thrips, bugs, scale, mould and mildew, etc. You want to clean up all your fallen leaves and the easiest way to do that is if they're not tangled up with weeds underneath. Okay. And with, I mean, my roses got really badly hit with chilli thread, like mm. a lot of curve, um, mm. this year. If I'm pruning it off, do I spray again for chilli thread, even though I've taken off all the leaves, or does that only work when you have foliage on the plant? Well, the thing with chilli thread that we know, as with any other thrips, bugs, etc., they they often harbour in cracks and crevices. Now, what we understand about chilli thread is that these temperatures it isn't active as to whether it can overwinter in a warm space a crevice etc you know in when the ground not, not mm. too short mm. so my advice would be well what i'm thinking about mine and given that we haven't encountered this before but i will probably prune lower and harder than what i once might have So I will be removing more growth so there is less space. Also, I've 
I've got this border of plants. I've got alisum. I've got basil, which is struggling a bit because of the cold. And I've also got yellow marigolds. And I've got red salvias, which I know provide a home for some small aphids. But also, because there's small aphids there, these are a bank plant that allow the ladybirds, the lacewings, the hoverflies to to live amongst. And any potential problems that I might have on my roses, I've got this bank of plants around that are supporting beneficial predators. Okay, so they were salvia. So I've got salvia as well. Salvia, basil, what was the other one you said? Oh, Alisum. and... Marigolds. The marigolds, because we understand that the thrips are attracted to yellow. So... Yeah, and then I've got this healthy, healthy garden full of all these predators and birds that come in and take the pests as well as the good bugs. That's my okay. theory, Margaret. Okay. <laughs> and we're still all learning about this too. Yeah, certainly when it comes mm, to the chili fun. through. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. I love your program. It's terrific. It's Thanks, terrific. Margaret. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Bye. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we do have to have a short break. When we return, we're chatting with Barbara. Welcome back. We're straight to the lines. We're in Dinella saying good morning to Barbara. Hi. Good morning, girls. (laughs) Hi, Barbara. (laughs) Lovely to hear you talking about the um, the COVID thrips, I call it, the chili thrips. Yes. Yes. It's one of those things we're still learning about, but it was good to hear what you were saying about removing more growth um, mm. and growing the red salvia marigold. If you spray, would you spray and what would you use? If Well, you probably know me. My go-to yes. is eco-oil. Okay. Um, and uh, when we spoke to Steve Falcioni from OCP, Organic Crop Protectants, he talked about adding eco oil with eco name. Yeah. And I, you know, when I'm in my garden, I have these thoughts running through my head all the time. And if I was worried about it in my garden and wanted perfect blooms, then mm. perhaps that is what I would use and I would drench the soil. Uh, mm. I would be okay about doing that because. I also don't believe that the predators are going to be banked up in my rows like the pests are. I, mm. I believe my predators are hanging out in my plants around. But yeah. I won't be spraying because I feel confident that my my good bugs are there and time will tell. I'm an observer. I want to watch and see what's going on. Remember yeah. that... We live in Jandicott. We're 15 minutes out of Perth. We're surrounded by bush. We don't have snails. Our situation is different to people in other suburbs. But, yeah. you know, it's we are still learning. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I just want to be able to give advice based on what I experience. So, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. Um, now, the reason I actually rang was not that. I'm ringing for um, a nephew who lives in White Gum Valley, and he's asked me for a tree that grows fast to um, block the sun in their little unit come summer. So 
Um, obviously, it's not going to grow that fast. But could you suggest something? And my second thought would be, he didn't ask this, but I thought, wow, it would be good if it could be something with <laughs> <do> food. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it did make me think. I, I'm glad I had a few minutes in the or a couple of minutes in the break. We don't get much time to, to think here in between questions. Um, yeah. First thought is lily pilly because they can grow big. Uh, yeah. But they don't have to, and oh, there are there's a plethora of different types out there, and they yeah. are edible. You can make lily pilly champagne, jellies, jams, all sorts of things with the fruit. They're pretty. They have glossy green leaves. Some varieties will have a, a new flush of pink or orange. Um, there's yes, they're just a lovely a lovely tree to have. Be mindful of roots, though. Anything that grows big will have bigger roots. Um, mm -hmm. I also thought if you want something that's going to produce fruit or be edible quickly after you put it in the ground, buy established. Uh, and one of the thoughts that came to mind was ice cream bean tree. Once again, it, it can be a big tree, so the roots may be an issue. For something fast growing, they're usually going to be big. Yeah. But if it's near a building, you know, you've got to consider mm. about the, root the roots. Yep. And then I think, well, okay, think about a native plant because yeah. often their roots aren't seeking water in the same way that some of the exotic plants will. Yep. Okay. Uh well, you know, some of the, the little gums are magnificent and bring in birds. Mm -hmm. Some of the mallies. Mm -hmm. um, you know what I've seen just recently? Um, I live in Halstead Avenue and up on the corner, there's the most incredible wattle. I just love burying my face in its fluffy little... <laughs> oh, you obviously don't, don't get, get hay fever. I was just thinking that. Yeah, good on you. Actually, yeah. on that subject, Barbara, can I can I just share something with you? On our way in today, I saw a lot of wattle around the place flowering and managed, planted by by parks and the university here. And I just wanted to highlight the Acacia longifolia and Itiophila. They, they're two wattle species that are Eastern States varieties. And I have a concern in that although these are planted in public spaces and they're easy to grow and they're managed there, these can cause weed problems in bushlands. And it actually happened in our bush where... You know, for 20 years we'd been on this property and then all of a sudden these lovely wattles appeared and mm. how beautiful they were and we enjoyed them. And then as time went on, they grew and grew and more started popping up and then they started pushing out grass trees and mm. um, banksias so that mm. those plants died. And I just would like people to be more aware of what they're doing and the impact that some of these things have on our native bushland. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I'll take that in note. It's good that um, to know that. The, the wattle that I'm talking about, what would it be called? It's the one that has the blue foliage. Oh, there's a Mount Morgan wattle, um, a Queensland wattle. It's not it's a Kudamunda, is it? 
Oh, I, I have I have to check. There are hundreds of wattles. Okay. Right, we'll come back to you on that, Barbara, because we have to get to the news, I'm afraid. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if you think of any other natives like Grevillea that would be fast growing in front of this door to drop block the sun, mm. uh, I'll listen. Okay. okay. Right. Thanks, Barbara. All right. Thanks, Barbara. Cheers oh. for that. Okay, nine o'clock news. Mostly sunny today. We are heading for a maximum of 21. It's currently 9.7 degrees and the minimum overnight will be 10. There will be rain tomorrow. Afternoon storm is likely with a maximum of 18. And the outlook for Monday, the minimum overnight will be 9. There will be showers and a maximum of 17. And our rainfall total for June ended up at 93.6 mils. And currently we're sitting at 1.4 mils for July. We will smash that tomorrow. I believe so. Now, John has brought in a list of 10 fast-bearing fruit trees. So this is for Barbara. Yes. Uh, Figs, mulberries, Mm. nectarines, peaches, lemon and orange, Mm -hmm. black cherries, apricots, papayas and pears. Now, I'll cross off figs and mulberries because of their root system, being close to a building, for starters. Uh, Papayas, I don't know that they're going to block out a lot of sun, but Barbara, I'm going to skip right to number 10, which are the pears, <laughs> for yeah. the reasons as follows. One, they are deciduous, so they will block out summer sun. You can prune them. They're fast growing. The autumn winter leaves look stunning, as is evidenced in my garden at the present moment. And you can get pears. Now, you may need two, but you yeah. could always have another one. A, a smaller one, um, but you can prune it to size, easy to manage. I I just think pears would be idea. an ideal pick. Mm. Mm. There well we done. go. Okay, and Claire of Bellagira called in earlier and she says that Hoya is very healthy and only flowers between November and January and she believes there are two types. You have Hoya Bella and Hoya. Mm. We should I, have a... We should have a Hoya. I, I don't know a lot about them. I grow mm. I grow a couple. They grow themselves. Mm. Um, just, yes, we, yeah. we definitely we should. We should do a Hoya segment. <laughs> All <laughs> okay. right. Uh, now, we have a Christine Brazen on the line. Christine is a education officer, volunteer and coordinator at the Kenyana Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre. We're going to say hello, Christine. Good morning. You're with Ray and Faye. Uh, good morning, ladies. Hello. It's lovely to have you here, Christine. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Now, can you tell us a bit about yourself, Christine, and how you got involved with Kenyana? Mm. Yes, well, I've been a volunteer all my adult life um, uh, with my mum's encouragement um, and I was a teacher and a principal at schools throughout the wheat belt until I retired. Um, and then when I retired, I cared for my mother-in-law and mother until they passed away and then it sort of left a big gap in my life. Mm. Um, and I went looking for um, a volunteering opportunity, got on to volunteering WA um, and up popped education officer at Kenyana. So that was me three years ago. Wow. Um, so, uh, and since then, I've embraced Kenyana um, fantastically. I love the place. Mm. Um, so I'm doing far more than education now. So um, I'm almost full-time there. 
Wow. So what, what does your role um, include each day when you're there? What do you do? All sorts. I'm, yeah. I'm on the management committee now mm-hmm. um, and I have taken on the role of uh, of marketing team facilitator. So one of the things that we're really keen to do for Kenyana is to uh, raise our profile in the community because even though we have been around for more than 40 years, I still find as I'm going out to schools and markets and so forth that a lot of people still haven't heard of us. Mm. Um, which is really surprises me, you know, given the work that we do. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's worldwide recognition um, for our, some of our programs, and yet our local community don't know about us. Our local schools don't um, um, invite us to the schools or come to us, you know, whereas we run a lot of programs for these schools and other organisations. You have a lot of different products, actually. I was going through your website where an opportunity to have school children come to you and have experiences, if you like, with with a selection of animals. And there's so many different things you've got going on up there. It would be great to raise the awareness, yeah, further. Yeah, also, you know, as part of a marketing team, um, we need to be fundraising. Um, mm. We're a not-for-profit and yeah. no government funding, so we're always on the lookout for, um, you know, more ways of increasing our funding. Which, of course, like, all organisations is a difficult job. Yes, um, but I've pulled together a very good team now who were already in their own way doing bits of marketing for Kenyana, but I've sort of brought them together now so that we are more of a team. So that's marketing. Um, I'm also the volunteer coordinator, so I'm one of two volunteer coordinators. So we look after our nearly 400 members um, just to make sure that they're um, getting decent training, like really good training, ongoing training, high-quality training, um, and acknowledging them um, and yeah, just trying to retain them, organising social events, that sort of thing. Um, and I'm on the Training and Development Committee because uh, um, that, that they go hand in glove, really. Mm. Um, and uh, so we have an information night the first Wednesday of every month, and I'm one of the two or three um, trainers who run mm. that. Mm. So, yeah, there's always lots going on, as well as all the admin in the background, you know. Yeah, it's quite a story. Yeah, it's quite a story because it it, it was established a long time ago and it's just grown, quadrupled. Indeed, yeah. Mm. In fact, you know, we've been trying to work out what the start date was because Mm. there's been some question as to celebrating our 50th. Wow. Um, But we can't actually establish a date. Um, so we became incorporated in 1986. Mm. Um, so that June, the founder assures us that it was going well before then. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, she can't actually put a date to it. So um, we certainly know we've been around for more than 40 years. So, you know, from there, we just don't know. Give us an example of the sort of animals that you look after. Oh, well, we get about 3,000 admissions a year into our hospital. Mm. Um, so that would that's about 80% of those are birds. Yes. Uh, and we're coming into our busiest season now with um, because it's baby bird time. Um, so, and 
because the weather looks like it's going to be pretty um, wild and wicked, mm. uh, we'll probably finish up with quite a lot of um, chicks. They get blown out of their nests or...? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah any, anything like that. Um, so we, from about now until December, January, our hospital will be full. Um, and uh, there's no cost to the public. They just bring the um, animal or bird in and we take care of them for as long as is necessary. So we have um, about 10, so that's 80% birds and about mm. 10% of bobtails. And then the rest are everything you can think of. Yeah, yeah. Well, Christine, um, I would really like to talk about the little marsupials because a few weeks ago, a gentleman from Ravenswood rang in and the catalyst for this show today was about he thought he had a fascigale living in his roof and it just made me think that a lot of people around Perth probably are not aware of our little marsupials and the harm that could be done to them by putting Mistaking out them. baits and traps. So mm. tell you're, us what's You're correct. Of... You're really correct. Um, mm. I mean, unfortunate, well, fortunately, unfortunately, um, the majority of our marsupials are tiny mm. and, and nocturnal. So people aren't even aware that they're there unless they happen to nest in their roof or they fall over them. I mean, uh, with the habitat destruction that there is now, you know, with the property development and fires, etc., the um, there's less habitat for these animals. And, you know, foxes and cats ha- uh, have just preyed on them so badly that, um, you know, we've just lost so many of them. So Fasca gales um, are not common anymore. They used to be, um, the same as the Dunarts. Um, but, but then there are some other um, smaller marsupials like the Quenders that have just, their numbers have exploded. Mm. Um, and certainly up here in the hills, mm. um, I live in Les Murdy, and, um, you know, I, I will see at least half a dozen a day, um, mm. primarily because they come in to eat my chook food. <laughs> mm. so, yeah, so they're very opportuni- opportunistic like that. Yeah. So I just wonder what what people can do or how they manage if rats are eating fruit off their trees and if they think about control and prevention how how can we protect the native animals yeah so there's a couple of things so uh, for example possums love our fruit um, and that is something that um, a lot of people don't like Um, so possums are very wary of dogs so one of the ideas that um, I've been given is that you make a sort of like a sausage out of like a stocking or whatever. With their fur and in it. it. Yes, with dog fur in it. So if you went to, you know, like a dog groom or something like yeah. that, mm. glad to get rid of some of it. So it needs to be about 30 centimetres long and you just hang it in your trees. Oh. Um, so that's one idea that um, I've heard. Mm. Um, also putting the collars around the trunks. Um, you know, so either metal or at Kenyana we use like that really thick plastic. I don't know what it's called, but it's very, very thick around the um, uh, around the trunk. So then the um, the possums can't go up the tree. Oh, 
yeah, because they, they can't climb up sheer um, surfaces. Um, they can't jump much more than about a metre. Um, so, you know, keeping aware of all of those sorts of things mm. so that you can keep them away from your fruit trees. But at the end of the day, you know, as long as they... I leave some to share with you. <laughs> well, that's my thoughts too. And possum boxes are available too. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you, if it, if anybody's got access to the internet, there are patterns on the um, on the internet so that you can make them yourself. Um, or there are lots of places like Kenyana where you can purchase them. Um, so, but just a simple thing, you know, is um, a log. A hollow log, if you happen to be out, it needs to be about a metre long. Um, and, um, yeah, just, uh, just close up one end and put something nice in there like that a possum um, might enjoy nesting in. And uh, that might be a simple way of encouraging a possum away from your roof <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, garden. Mm. And I know with the Fasca gales, they weren't allowed to be relocated because they were a native species. That's right. That's the same with all of them. So since so since the Biodiversity Conservation Act of 2016, um, no wildlife are allowed to be um, captured, um, relocated, killed, anything. So if you happen to have... Um, say a possum in your roof, you would need to get in touch with the Parks and Wildlife Service of DBCA um, and they will give you the names of the licensed contractors who can remove them for you. Um, So, yeah, they've got very, very strict on that now. Same as feeding our wildlife. um, That's also not allowed anymore. Mm. Um, You know, disappoints a lot of people because they like feeding their magpies and um, so forth, but it, it's actually not allowed anymore. Mm. Well, there's plenty of food out there for them too, and I know for the scavengers, yeah, there's there's plenty of food. In fact, I've had more ravens coming to the garden and and around my duck pen. So, yeah, need yeah. to check out what they're going in there for. Maybe our eggs. Yeah, they go after eggs. Mm. Yeah, they will go after eggs. Yes, yes. So, uh, and ravens are another. Um, uh, example of wildlife that have done really well with humans, um, you know, because they are scavengers, um, mm. and we leave an awful lot of rubbish around for them. To yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, Christine, no, we'd no, love to no. have you, love to have you in the studio uh, going forward. It'd be great to have oh. you to sit and take calls from our listeners, and it all ties into gardening, of course, and what people discover in their yards. And we do get so many calls about people with uh, uh, animals eating their fruit and issues with possums and so forth. Faye's nodding ahead. Well, I know that we have to go to a break, but Mm. I know that Christine's got a story about Woylie. So, Christine, if you don't mind waiting, we'll, we'll continue with that story after the break. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Bear with me. Curtain Radio in Perth. You are tuned into Let's Talk Gardening with Ray and Fane. Special guest on the line with us at the moment, Christine Brazen from the Kenyana Wildlife Rehab Centre. So we'll just pick up uh, with you. Christine, are you there? Yes. Thanks yep. for waiting, love. Yeah. So, Christine, can you tell us about what a woylie is and why they're important, please? Yes, certainly. So um, they're also known as a brush-tailed betong, um, and they are 
under threat. Now, they are in very small numbers and you really only see them in sanctuaries. So if you do a night tour, for example, at Kenyana or Cavisham, any of those other places that have night tours, you might see them there. Um, but uh, And woili is a Noongar word, which means stick carrier, because they are very clever little animals and they're not very big. Um, they only stand about 30 centimetres um, tall at max. Um, and um, But they, they're tail is like a prehensile tail so they will dig a bit of a, a nest in the ground a, a bit of a hollow um, and then they'll gather up sticks and leaves and things and it, and with their tail they will um, create the most beautiful nest having carried you know leaves and sticks um, to make that happen um, so very very clever little animal um, now they've got very sharp claws they love digging in the forest for primarily fungi, all the different sorts of fungi. Um, uh, and they'll, they'll eat a few other things as well, like the resin from um, trees. And, you know, they'll pick up invertebrates along the way as well. But if you think about it, um, they're digging all night long, foraging for food. And they can they estimate that they can move five to seven tonnes of soil a year. So if you think about that and think about um, the, the forest environment um, with you know the, the leaves that are falling on the ground and so forth. So these creatures are incorporating that into the soil, so improving the nutrition um, and also allowing the rain to penetrate the soil because we do tend to have hydrophobic soils. So they, they're very important to that. And then... Um, I, we've got a gorgeous little orphan called Noba, and that's what Noba means, um, who we use for education purposes. Absolutely gorgeous. He has bitten me a couple of times, but that's just a little point. Um, but, um, so we've had a captive breeding program of, of the Woylies at Kenyana for a number of years now, very successful. So, but with going back to the importance to the forest, I read some research about six months or so ago, and unfortunately I can't remember where I read it, um, but it was you know, from a, um, a well-known um, scientific journal, and they were saying that they'd been doing some research into the loss of our Tuat forests, and uh, basically what they're finding is that um, the Woylies in particular were, are very important to the germination and development of the Tuats. And because the Woylie numbers have shrunk to the extent that they have, it's um, jeopardising our tuat forests. So, um, and of course, without the fungi spreading as well, because, you know, they're not pooping, they're not around to poop anymore. Um, plus the fact that they, when the Woylies eat, they um, store the fungi in their cheek pouches. So as they're continuing to move around, um, they're sort of dropping those spores from both ends of them, if you like. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, because their their numbers are so reduced, um, it is affecting um, our forests. And it's not just the woolly. You know, we're so dependent. Nature's so clever. Everything works together. And it, the fact that we're um, the humans have had such a impact on our wildlife. Is, I think we're going to be seeing some bad news stories more and more. Mm. Well, we're going to change that, Christine, <laughs> with your help. <laughs>
thank you very much. That has been just lovely talking to you today, and <laughs> we will again. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look forward to it. Thank you very much for asking me. All right, and I'm putting you back to Bev, Christine, so bear with me. I'm putting you on hold. Thank okay. you, love. Take care. Okay, that was very interesting. We will become wildlife warriors, Fayakara. Yay. <laughs> All right, we're in Duncraig. Jack, good morning. Uh, good morning. Hi, Jack. Sorry to keep you waiting, but I hope you enjoyed that. I did. We're a regular listeners. Oh, very good. How can we help you today? Well, I've got a few things. First of all, the question I have is, when is the best time to plant my marigold and sunflower seeds? Uh, last year I waited too late and didn't help. Is mm. soil improver a good thing? I've got very sandy soil. And I've just recently found from an ecologist why talking to your plants is beneficial. <laughs> well, why? Why is it? Why did they say? Well... All plants need CO2, and recent increases in CO2 is still a trace gas. It's a tiny fraction of 1%. It's measured in parts per million. So when you talk to a plant, it comes from our breath. breath. Yeah. has CO2 in it, and it can increase the CO2 around your plant by about five times. Oh, so wow. it would even be more beneficial You're if singing. you whisper to I'll them, sing. do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the reference is... a. Uh, ecologist uh, Patrick Moore. He's fascinating on the subject. And then I, I uh, have a question about soil improver for my sandy soil. I already asked that. Uh, would you like to hear the mushroom joke? Yes. Oh, please. Well, there's a lady who fell in love with a mushroom. And, and they, were, they were dating and her, her friends were critical. And she says, no, no, he's a real fun guy. Ah, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. <laughs> You're a fun guy, Jack. <laughs> um, now, improving soil can be done many different ways. You can do it with manure, with compost, with clay, with uh, pre-mixed soil improvers, whatever. And if you're in Duncraig and you've got sandy soil, I would highly recommend that you do. Marigolds are, are very easy to grow at any time of the year and will grow easily from seed. And in fact, plants that I put in probably two months ago have flowered and now produce seeds, so I just cut them off and sprinkle them around the garden and they pop up very easily. You can make your own compost. So just cleaning up brown and green leaves and weeds and food scraps from your garden and turning them over, heating them up, throwing carpet on top, making a pile or doing it in a compost bin. And or you could even do your own worm farm and combining all of those things together and adding to the soil or just digging a hole and putting your scraps into the soil will help improve your soil. Multiple different ways of doing it. But marigolds will grow with or without any soil improver. And now, okay. um, as far as sunflower goes, I think your best chance would be closer to springtime. Uh, if I was going to grow sunflowers, and I'm thinking that we will do that in the school holidays, I would put them in pots and put them under uh, a clear roof patio where they get good sunlight and a bit protected or a bit, bit more of a microsystem than the outdoors and exposed to the cold. Oh, okay. Good idea. Mm. All right. Jobs to do for, for this weekend, Jack. Thanks, Jack. <laughs> 
Okay. And I know we've got some emails to we, do if we, we get have. time. <clears throat> okay. Would you like me to go ahead now? Go ahead. Okay. So Andrea has sent us an email just now. For people who suffered thrip or any bad bugs last year, there's a natural way to beat them and they can order online from bugs for bugs by buying in lace wings. So thank you for that, Andrea. As mm. always, she's a wealth of information yes. and will often send in extra information on top of what I've said. And, you know, the conundrum here is, Ray, we're mm. always trying to go to a break or we've got oh, calls lined up. Yes. And so sometimes I feel like I can't deliver my whole lesson. Yeah. I get cut short. <laughs> okay. So that's my defence. And this week I feel a bit rusty because I've hardly talked to anyone all week. That I'm is, out of that practice. is funny, Faya Caro. <laughs> well, I, I noticed during the week you were taking pictures of rabbit poo, so I knew you were busy. Well, the I exciting know. thing is, I know. let me share, a gentleman from the US has identified the fungi on my rabbit poo. <laughs> I was actually looking for dung buttons because they appear as these little buttons of fungi on kangaroo poo or, or poo in bushland and they mm. look like little buttons, miniature buttons. So I was down in the sand I and I saw these little jelly tots on, on the rabbit poo and I started taking photos and with all the rain... They just like exploded and then I had a secondary fungi. But anyway, they were identified and it's the first photos and identification on iNaturalist mm. along with what I thought was an ant on a flower but when going through my photos it turned out to be a velvet ant which is actually a wingless wasp. wasp. Mm. And once again, first record for Australia on iNaturalist. I know. You My are, claim you are, to fame. You are groundbreaking. It's incredible. <laughs> and then a gentleman on the fungi group actually said because of me, he started looking closer and he has found a whole new world in his local bushland. It's lovely. Finding things that he hasn't seen. So that one person that listened, I've made a world of difference to. <laughs> yeah, you've inspired and John has brought in some information about growing mandarins in a pot and said I was on the mark, so that's good. Now, last weekend we had an email and the question was about growing grass in shade. Mm. And, Ray, your opinion on that? Well, I, I'm a big Sir Walter fan and I think it's a, it's a hardy lawn and I think it can take some shade, certainly full sun, and I think it's a, a good all-rounder. It's a difficult one when you have, and I've had this too uh, in, in previous gardens where you get full blast sun at certain times of the year and then shade at other times of the year, and you're trying to accommodate plants that will live in both conditions uh, as the sun changes throughout the year. It's hard. Mm. Ideally, don't grow or aim not to grow lawn where there is deep shade. Yeah. To help, and if you're going to do that, you can add something like dichondra, which yeah. will tolerate low lo levels of light, and mm. it will fill in the gaps, so it yeah. will look green, yeah. but you won't have that perfect lawn. Uh, John's come up with some shade tolerance. So Prestige and Palmetto both have a high degree of shade tolerance, mm. and Sapphire is a variety that has a very high shade tolerance 
So that is something to look at. And how do you prepare the soil? Uh, Might depend a bit on what area you're in, but Mm. generally uh, you can get lawn blends from your suppliers. You'd get them by the trailer load rather than by the bag. It can work out much cheaper. And uh, adding something uh, that, that gives the grass a good start I reckon the best time to do it is probably more spring mm. when the weather is warm so the roots can establish with additional water. It's very cold in winter and mm. a little bit harder. But, you know, a lot of the turf suppliers will, will lay turf all in the year round yes, with, I know. with mm. good results. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't do it. Yeah, quite right. So I do hope that helps. We do have more, but we have some calls, right? Yes. All right. Let's head to Gwellup. Good morning to Margie. We haven't heard from you for a while. How are you? I've been too busy in the garden. Oh, good Lucky girl. Oh, I was just saying to my <clears throat> sister yesterday how lucky I am. Touch wood, touch wood. I haven't got a snail or a worm. And I picked a couple of armloads of parsley and all of the worms fell out. <laughs> the caterpillars, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, well. so my problem is I heard on the show that if you plant marigolds amongst your veggies and things, it takes the bugs away a little bit. Well, my marigolds have gone belly up. The leaves are all brown and soggy looking and the flowers just fall off and they're not making seeds. They're basically not growing. Mm. What is the soil like, Margie? Is it uh, is it good and friable, or is it a bit boggy and wet, holding too much moisture? Well, in a word, it's disgusting. <laughs> it's silver loam that's had buildings on top of it, and this area once was the market gardens. So it had. I've been here for twenty two years, so I've been pouring all sorts of things into it and things have started to grow after 20 years Mm. and it's a bit of hit and miss as to what will grow here because yeah I think so it sounds very rich and I just I just wonder the thought that came to my mind was it almost needs a rest or it needs something grown in it that will reinvigorate it like there's a lot of um not well, clover might be one of the things, but there is something they use in crop rotation. Like mustard? or Yes, mm. Um, mm. mustard and a series of other things mm. that gives the ground a rest, but it also takes out some things. Adds and things in. Adds mm. things. So mm. oh, what do you call, a green crop, mm. green crop rotation. So maybe I know, I know a green life soil seller, a mix, a seed mix, something like that. So you put that on and then you dig it in yeah. before you plant your next crop. We'll so something might that would like that would help. Um, but it'd be good to know what the problem is. And sometimes weeds that are coming up in that area will tell you. It'll be a sign. So something will tell you that there's too much nitrogen in the soil or too much calcium or, you know, there's a whole range of different things that weeds can tell us by what's growing there. Because mm. I put them a, a couple in the front garden where I've got broad beans growing and a, uh, one of in my raised garden, each of the raised garden beds have got a marigold. And where I've, a new part of the garden where I've taken out a tree 
and now making it a veggie garden, taking it out a bush rather than not a tree. And it, um, they've all d- done the same thing, unless it was that particular pot of marigolds from the big green shed. Right, okay. So if you bought an individual pot, you know, they're annuals, so they don't last forever. Mm. Go and buy yourself some punnets. So you get six mm. or eight in a punnet and mm. plant them round. But when you're digging the holes, I want you to to only plant them if you think the plant's going to be happy there. I know sometimes I'll dig a hole and I think, gosh, you, I can't plant you there. It's It's got too many roots or it's too boggy or there's no water getting in there. And or you too have much to, water. Yes. Mm. So I want you to think about that when you're planting the punnets, Okay. Okay, thank you very much for that. All right. Homework. Thanks, Margie. <laughs> thank you. Have a lovely weekend. You okay. too. Cheers for that. Bye. Bye. Now, we will have a quick break. When we return, we're chatting with Arthur and Ellen. Curtain Radio. It's, <laughs> sorry about that. It's uh, 18 minutes to 10, so we've got a lot to, to fit in between now and 10 o'clock. And for our Curtain FM members, uh, get your membership number ready if you haven't won a prize in the last 28 days. We have a question for you. Okay, now this is compliments of Kerry at Bigotry's Nursery in Pickering Brook, a $75 gift voucher up for grabs. Uh, I know she's got some great winter colour going on up there right now with uh, over 50 different varieties of camellias in stock and wide range of deciduous and evergreen flowering and native trees. Everything else you can think of. Now, the question is, and so give Bev a call on 94841927. What is another more common name for an alligator pair? This is the question. What is another more common name for an alligator pair? Not to have won a prize on the radio station in the last 28 days. Must be a curtain FM member. Give Bev a call now. We're going straight out to the lines. We are in Two Rocks. Arthur, good morning. Good morning, ladies. Hello, Arthur. Lovely to hear from you. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know how long the good weather's going to last, but I guess it's in the west. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I've got a problem. I've got a blueberry bush, and uh, it, all the leaves are going red, and I don't know why. So maybe you can help me. <laughs> oh, I love it when they do that. Oh, Arthur, so that is not a problem. Mm. That is the joy of the seasons, mm. and you probably just have one of those varieties where where you get some beautiful winter colour and it may or may not lose its leaves and it is just what some blueberry plants do. So not oh, a problem at all. Is it in a pot or in the ground? No, it's in the ground. Ooh. It's in a raised garden bed. Okay. All right. They are acid-loving plants. and right. uh just the way to keep them tidy after the plants have flowered and fruited, then you yep. just tidy them up cutting out anything that's crossing over underneath, giving it a light trim, and it will reward you. Yep, what you've got is quite normal. So don't put anything on it, don't put any more fertiliser or nothing on it. Probably not right now, being winter. uh, You can give your plant uh, compost or an organic fertiliser, something that builds up the soil. Oh, yeah, yeah. In a raised garden bed, it's probably already got that. So I, okay. I would wait till springtime. 
Good. Thank you very, very much. And uh, all the best to you girls. And Thank we'll you. catch up with you another day. Thanks, Thanks Arthur. Arthur. Cheers for that. Bye now. Bye. Now, we do have a winner to our little competition already. So John Glidden, who's in the studio with us at the moment, created that uh, question. Obviously not hard enough, John. No, I'm You're going to have to get to a lot tougher, buddy. deeper into Google yes. and find some really tough And ones. our question was, what is another more common name for an alligator pair? And the answer is avocado. So a $75 voucher will be on its way from Bigger Trees and Nursery. And to all of our prize winners in the last week or two, bear with us because with, with all the things that have been going on, um, I've noticed that we haven't been able to do our normal mail outs. It will come. Okay, we're heading straight to Forest Field. Alan, good morning. Uh, good morning, ladies. How are we? Very good, thanks, Alan. How are you doing? Yeah, uh, pretty good, thanks, yep, okay. uh, for a Saturday. Yeah, um, yeah look, um, I missed the name of one of your guests uh, a few weeks ago who was talking about uh, compost. We um, just mulch all the prunings and everything, um, or that uh, you know can can go through the uh, mower, and um, and then of course uh, after months uh, there we uh, put it on the garden or dig it in into the garden. Um, but um, uh, when I uh, created a couple of uh, beds or some some years back with just this compost I thought you know with the earthworms there that it was going to uh, really uh, really take off you know you sort of put uh, some veggie seedlings in and um, stand back and uh, yeah well uh, that didn't happen and so I'm just wondering if you could um, give me the uh, the name or the phone number um, of the uh, gentleman that you were talking to a few weeks ago, so I can um, I can pick his brains, or you know, of course, you, you probably know the answer to this yourself um, about um, why compost just doesn't work um, like on its own. Mm. Uh, what I need to add to it? It's something that you would continue to add, Ellen. It gets used up if you're growing vegetables. Vegetables are very gross feeders. And if you've got very sandy soil and you add compost, that's great. But you, with our sandy soils, often have to add more and again and again. It's I know in Jandicott it's like growing hydroponically sometimes. But in areas that I work frequently, I'm always adding more. So more compost or worm castings, layer of mulch over the top, clay as well to help hold it there. We did talk quite in depth about compost with Joe Bustle. Uh, she has a shop in East Vic Park. John, what? Urban. Urban Revolution. She was one of our special guests. Um, we could probably talk about compost again. We've also talked to Ellen Walker from Earthwile and Catherine Hubble about uh, different other additives, the lactobacillus, Lactobacillus serum, which mm-hmm. also helps activate soil, is a, a great pribo, probiotic for plants. Um, so, Ellen, are you on the internet? Yes, I am. So, if you do you know how to access our podcasts, because we have got a lot of great information going back in previous shows, you could easily go in and have a little listen. Yeah, um, I, I do, but um, yeah, uh, I, I actually tried doing that. When you're talking about the, uh, you know, this uh, 
um, well, the last chap that you actually had on there. Um, but um, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know, I, I didn't, uh, didn't hear his name or, or his... Okay. Ellen, um, if you would... If we can put you back yeah, to bed we'll and you can give her an email address, I can yep. send you some links that will be easy for you to access. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. we're doing that now, Alan. Thank you. Okay, now we put Alan back to Bev, hopefully, and we can carry on. Well, John's always kept busy during the week, passing on emails that come into us and. Thank you so much to Jackie who called us last weekend and we were having difficulty working out what the problem was on what we thought was an African milk plant. It turns out it's an Africana kalanchoe, mm. which is a beautiful winter flowering succulent. Yes. And it appears that the the plant has become infested with mealybugs. So, which are a, a type of scale insect. They are prolific in areas that don't have a lot of airflow or they can turn up where, well, where there's not a lot of airflow and soil is too wet. So contributing to a decline of the plant. She wanted to save the plant because it had been given to her as a present. Kalanchoes are funny things and they don't always live well for extended periods of time. In my experience, I would suggest growing other plants from cuttings. They're very mm. easy to grow from cuttings, but also to treat the mealybug. And I suggested removing as much of the infestation as possible. And so when you're doing that, taking the cuttings and growing new plants. But also, if there aren't many mealybugs, getting a cotton wool bud with methylated spirits and just dabbing those pests because it dries up their exoskeleton and they can't break. And one of the questions was where to access methylated spirits. Well, I know you can get it at the big green store and you actually sent me some information. It's Uh, available. Big supermarkets. Big supermarkets have it, yeah. Yeah. And our winner uh, to the... $75 $75 bigger tree voucher was Olga Armstrong from Ascot. So, Olga, congratulations. And don't forget to let us know what you buy with that. <laughs> we have to live through our winners. We like to know what you've uh, got up to. Carry on. And, well, we have to go to a break too, Ray. We do. do. We Let's do, do that, that now. Okay. Back shortly. Curtain Radio. And we're back. And just a reminder that the Garden Show is going to have a two-week winter break. As of next Saturday, times two weeks, so that's the 10th and 17th of July, we are back on the 24th. It's a great time to be pruning, Ray, isn't it? Sure is. Lots of jobs. And one of the emails that we received in this week was from Alice. Now, last weekend we covered a potato bush that wasn't Mm. growing very well. It was quite straggly and the leaves were small. Mm. And these are plants that you do often, like, trim over if you're trying to keep it as a standard. So uh, this photo is of a mauve potato creeper and it's Solanum rantanetii. And the question is, how do you take cuttings? Well, if you were cutting bait your plant, there is no trouble. You've got nothing to lose by taking a cutting about 10 to 15 centimetres long. A couple Mm. of nodes go in below the soil and a couple of nodes above Mm. and there's every chance that it may take Mm. Uh, winter is not the best time probably when things are warming up springs an ideal time 
But if you're cutting back the plant anyway, like I say, you've Give got it a nothing go. to lose Give on that go. one. Mm. Another problem here is um, from John, and he sent in a photo of a sago palm, which is not actually a palm. It's a cycad called uh, Cycus revoluta, revoluta, and mm. it's got the classic scale symptoms on it. And they're right down ar- around the base, and it could also be in the soil. So the plant looks pretty untidy. I would take away as much as I could, removing the most of the infestation because you'll have to spray what's left. Uh, so this is right across the board. Remove the infestation as much as you can. Leave some leaves and then spray. I would say probably um, a mix of eco-oil and eco-neem and drench mm. the pot as well. You could also use a systemic poison but bear in mind that I wouldn't and once again the methyl aid spirits but this is everywhere so you want to coat as much of the bugs as you can mm. and natural soap is another alternative it is so a, a good you, one if mm-hmm. you are going to the um, hardware store have a look at the range you're looking for something to treat scale you might mm. even have something in your hardware shed so mm. already you might and that's it. Great job sending through all our emails each week, John. Thank oh, you. It, it's great fun seeing them come in, <laughs> reading them and uh, formatting them into a Word document to look at in the studio. And amazingly, th- those last two you talked about, the pictures that came through were quite large and hard to see on the computer screen. When I reduced them and printed them, they came out absolutely beautifully. Oh, well. <laughs> Much easier yeah. to, to work with. And thank you to... Uh, Whoever it was that sent the email during the week, they had been out with their camera and photographing something in their garden after last weekend's show. Yeah, there was an email actually came in just after the show or during the show, and I remember that there was different different photos they sent through to us to have a look at what they their handiwork, yeah. their photography. Yep. Yes. Because there wasn't a question, I didn't actually print that one off. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, it was a I comment. Apologize. Yeah, no. Yes, and, they were wonderful. And, pictures. of course, you upload the show every Saturday afternoon, early afternoon, thank you, onto the Curtin FM website so that people can go back. If there's anything of interest there, they can go back and have a little bit of a wander and listen to some great information that's been happening between uh, January and now. And certainly we have podcasts going back to last year as well. Yeah, up to 75 episodes is now. that so god we're busier than <laughs> don't, i don't tell anyone because we're, weren't we going to be limited to how many could stay there <laughs> yeah Why, but that's my account we can have as many as i want oh yay <laughs> okay well, thank you john now we appreciate it. and of course john does provide us wonderful morning tea uh up when we get off air each saturday which we uh very much look forward to and what are we having to, today uh well it's a in school i had an american friend who introduced me to the wonders of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah. So it's a peanut butter and jam slice with uh, you know crunchy peanut butter and strawberry jam. Mm. And it's extremely sweet, but also delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and for those that don't know, John alternates between sweet and savoury. So when we're back, we'll, mm. we'll have savoury treats. Now, John, what can you do with this? I've brought in what can only be described as a hand or a mm. cluster of turmeric. So you have to make something <laughs> with that for us I now. definitely will. And it's used in a lot of Asian-type cooking. And used that way, it's 
very healthy. Mm. It's very good for you. Now, we do have the situation where people are selling powders and mm. pad tablets and things mm. like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, unless you cook with it, it's not going to do you a lot of good. <laughs> so how much would you use? Uh, do you know? I really have not cooked with fresh turmeric, right, so okay. I apologise profusely. I That's really okay. don't know. <laughs> this this show is all about learning and putting people on the spot, I think. Um, and yep. what I did want to say about this, so we've talked about gingers or growing ginger, and, of course, winter, they do not like to be cold and wet. So if you're growing ginger, turmeric, galangal, etc., uh, I would take them out of the weather and put them undercover. If the plants are dying down, that's okay. Mm. It, it's not that you've killed it. Don't keep watering it yeah. because it will rot. Allow it to dry out and then you can harvest uh, the produce and see what's underneath. Interestingly, this was growing in my worm farm, which is a bathtub, and it's probably been in there a couple of years, and it flowered this year. So when I talk about growing gingers in pots, I always talk about growing in a big pot mm. because they spread like a hand across the surface but also down mm. and they need a lot of room to grow. They're hungry um, but, yeah, <laughs> would grow very well in a worm farm because it was nice and warm too. Mm. Right. And, of course, turmeric is used quite often in powdered form for colouring dishes as well. Uh Substitute for saffron, which is quite mm. ridiculously expensive, of course. Mm. Mm. Okay. All right, we need to wrap things up. Anything else that we need to add, guys? No, I think that's it. Uh, enjoy the break, everyone, and try not to miss us too much. Go to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We will yep. be back on the 24th of July. And my gardenism for the morning is from Jill Hurd. Lovely Jill Hurd. We think of you yep. often. We chat with you uh, and we know that she tunes in each Saturday morning. She sent this to us last week. Everything living is connected and love abounds. Love that. Yep. Absolutely beautiful. beautiful. Thank you, Jill. Everything living is connected and love abounds. Take care, everyone. Jim Crinan is next with the classic 70s. We will catch you on the 24th of July. Keep safe and happy gardening. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.